iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Hi, Dad. Ask Mama if she remembered to pick up my stuff at the cleaners. Turn around! What? Hey. Gotta go back, I saw something! Wait, 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 wait. Mom, are you sure about this? Here, yeah, boy. There you go. We're not getting a dog, right? <laughs> what are you naming him? Freeway. <laughs> Freeway! Freeway! You lost the dog while you were talking on the phone! Oh. Something wrong? The dog's run off. Oh, shoot! What's the emergency, Joe? We lost our dog! Freeway! Freeway! Don't you know how much that dog means to me? I like him too, I'm just not obsessed with him. You know more about your patients than you do about your own family. We've done everything we can. Would you be leaving if I were missing? That's ridiculous. Freeway's alive. What are you talking about? The women in my family, they have a gift. We see things. Do you see him? Is he all right? I see trees. Wow, that really pinpoints it. So what's the plan? Russell is very cheerful. Can he keep up with you? <laughs> Why do you think he's so cheerful? Look at that! Did they bite? No, they ram. Oh. Little dogs control them just by yapping. No! Darling companion. We haven't lost a person. We've lost a dog. Love is love. Doesn't matter if it's a dog. Ah! My shoulder dislocated. You're gonna have to put it back. No, 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 I really I can't. Don't you ignore me no matter how much I scream. Stop! Stop! You're killing me! Okay! I told you to ignore me! Carmen says Freeway really wants to come in, but he's gotta hear a friendly voice. Okay, what? Don't laugh. Darling companion. Now you know you'll never be abandoned. Things that bug me about you never meant anything compared with how much I love you. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Jordan Hoffman, and tonight's guests, Kevin Klein and Lawrence Kasdan. My name is Jordan Hoffman. I'm a critic for ScreenCrush.com, and I'm really famous on the internet. Uh, to my right, two gentlemen that have uh, really don't need too much of an introduction: Lawrence Kasdan and Kevin Klein. Acto. Acto. Uh, Acto. Kevin Klein. Can we get an R? Can we get an R on stage, please? No, no, no. It's, it's kind of transgenderish. It's acto, actor, actress, actor, acto. And uh, these two gentlemen have worked together numerous times before. Uh, f is this the fifth time? I could have. This is the sixth time. Sixth time. Uh, Big Chill, Grand Canyon, Silverado. Silverado, French Kiss, French Kiss, and give me the other one. I love you to death. Oh, I love that movie. Okay. Forgot about that one. That you was fantastic. He was in it. No, I didn't. No, that was a terrific film. Um, and now this new one, Darling Companion, which. Uh, in a way, it does work um, if, if one had to you know, put things in threes, as we have a tendency to do, does work of a piece, I would say, with The Big Chill and Grand, Can uh, Grand Canyon. When you say, was that an in 
intentional decision, or did that just sort of happen after the fact? You realize, hey, mm. these kind of flow together nicely. Uh, not intentional. Uh, I think um, we made Big Chill when we were in our 30s, we made Grand Canyon when we were in our 40s, and we made this movie when we were older. <laughs> but uh, in that way, you know, we looked around, we saw things that were concerning people our age, and, um, and people we knew, friends really, and us mainly, and um, decided to write a movie about that. And this movie actually started the other way around, which is we lost our dog. We had rescued a dog and we lost our dog and, and Meg, who my wife, who's sitting right here, um, did the set. Aaron, Aaron thinks that's good. Um, uh, said, you know, we should write a story about this. Well, I was going to ask, because the, the film does have a, um, has a sense of, oh, this seems like something that could happen to real people. This seems very real. And so you're telling me that this actually did happen to you. The, the, the main crux of the film is a, a extended family. There's a, a wedding. Uh, everybody's up in the mountains. And the family dog uh, gets lost. And everybody looks for the dog for 90 minutes, basically. So right. uh, it's not the best way to pitch it. But uh, you know, if you had to boil it down. Sounds irresistible. <laughs> so there's some truth to that, though. Uh, there is. Uh... Meg and I rescued a dog seven years ago, uh, and we'd owned the head dog for a couple years, and uh, we, let, we were in the mountains. We had to leave for a wedding. We left uh, the dog with a friend. They were out hiking, which the dog does all the time with us, and um, a mountain biker came by, scared the dog. dog disappeared and was gone, and we thought he'd just show up, and he'd run down to town, and a friend he was, we'd left him with uh, looked everywhere, nothing. And the dog was gone for three weeks, and we did all the things that are in the movie, which is we searched the mountains, we endlessly searched for him, and we put ads, you know, we had, the radio was looking for us, it's a little town, there were posters everywhere, and no sign of the dog, and um, after three weeks he reappeared. And he had survived a lot of terrible weather and rough terrain, and, and we got him back, and he's at home now, he's 14 years old. Wow. Um, now, Kevin, the character that you play in the film, it's interesting because um, he's a workaholic, some would say, and when he's introduced, the, the film is more on the side of your wife, who's played by Diane Keaton. And um, you're a workaholic, and it's kind of like, ah, oh, this guy's being a jerk. He should be more of a better husband, better father, maybe. But here's the thing. Here's what makes the film, in my opinion, very interesting and nuanced. You you, you <laughs> or not. Uh, you play a doctor. And a lot of times in sort of the modern experiences, like, ah, the doctors, they don't give a shit. You know, they clock in, they clock out, they don't seem to care about their patients anymore. You play a doctor who really, really does care about his patients a lot. So when I'm watching the film, I'm very sympathetic to you. But yet in the movies, you're supposed to think that's the bad father, that's the bad dad, what's going on here? So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that sort of multidimensional facet to the workaholic character. Well, no, that's, it's one of the glories of, of uh, sorry, what's your name? Larry, Larry and Meg's writing, that they, they're complex characters, but not in a complex, they're characters that we recognize and that we can identify with. They look like us, they, they talk like us, they seem like us, they're in situations that we can relate to. And as so often happens, the very thing that is a virtue uh, in your work uh, is a, is, a, is a detriment, to, no, 
No, that's not, that's not, a, that's not the analogy that actually will work to um, illuminate the thought that I had once a moment ago. What I'm saying is that, yes, you're, you're, it's quite right. He's, he's, very, he's a good doctor, cares about his patients, but he is also very wrapped up in himself and his career and his work. And as so often happens, the family feels uh, that they've been marginalized or made secondary to his work. That's not necessarily the case. And in fact, one of the other glories of, of Larry and Meg's writing, uh, and, and especially in this story, which I agree is a companion piece to, to Grand Canyon and Big Chill, um, is that the, the people have, they misjudge each other. Even though they've been together 25, 30 years, they, they, they nurse these uh, preconceptions or, or attitudes that they've developed over the years and, and incrementally have built little barriers maybe. And, they, and, the, and this married couple who love each other but who are, have been distanced uh, by various things. Um, and then they have this adventure where they discover <coughs> things that they had taken for granted. Well, I think that's, that's part of what's interesting about all the three films is that they, they are characters who sort of have this moment of clarity and they sort of reassess their relationships. In The Big Chill, it's the friend dying, and in this, it's, it's the situation with the dog. So, um, Diane Keaton in this film, I mean, the, the last moment with the, with the dog shaking, I, you know, you don't know if that was an ad lib on the dog's behalf or not, if that was planned, and she has that quality of you never quite know when things are spontaneous. So first of all, I have to ask, was that a, a surprise, the, the dog shaking uh, water everywhere? Yeah. Yes. But uh, she does have that quality, and, and that's why she's a great movie star. Um, you don't know what she's going to do. Uh, there's a certain quality that is Keaton, and everybody knows it's Keaton, and all the great movie stars have that. They never lose that part that is particularly them. And then they are able to add on characters, you know, and, and she does that so she's alive to the moment. She was alive to that moment, yes. Uh, and there are a number of other really terrific actors in this film. Uh, Diane Wiest, um, Mark Duplass, who actually was on the stage a couple weeks ago, who's a director and writer and, and one of the busiest men. I don't, is, is that guy like in between takes, just like he makes a quick film in between takes? Or what's he has it like? a great attitude about filmmaking. He's made a lot of movies with his brother. He acts in some of them. Um, this is really like the first regular movie that he's been in. And uh, I loved it. We met him. He really wanted to play this part. I, uh, we thought it was an unusual choice. He's terrific. But what's great about him is not anything about this movie, but his attitude is, oh, uh, we're going go to we're gonna, we're gonna make another movie next week, and we're going to make another movie in three months. And he never says, oh, I don't know if we'll get the money or if we can get it going. He just assumes they'll make it. And if the price keeps going down and down and down, he'll make it for whatever money he's got. And that's why they've been very prolific, and it's, it's an admirable quality. And the bulk of the film was shot in you know, pretty much one beautiful location up in the mountains. I'm wondering uh, what it was like, you know, after hours. I mean, you're here with, and also um, Richard Jenkins, I forgot to mention as well, is phenomenal in this, really fun. Um, you know, what were, this was like a holiday, right? I mean, like after hours, what, what was, the, what's that scene like with all these great, terrific people? After hours, well, we were, it was, it was a very quiet town. It, it, during the Sundance Film Festival, Park City, which is where we were all based, is you know is, is a mob scene and there's a f at least a foot of snow. This was in the fall, 
gorgeous, I mean, just beautiful, breathtaking scenery. Uh, but also because of the budget, it was sort of like the big chill. We all shared a van. So we would go 45 minutes to and from location in a van. That was our party, I think, afterwards. But I think by the time we got home, uh, we just went to our... Maybe they were partying every night and I just wasn't invited, but I don't... <laughs> there was not a lot of, hey, let's go to the bar and throw back a few. No, at that altitude, it would have been lethal. So and, you're telling me pretty much every day after work, this tremendous cast of characters is in a van for 45 minutes. That must have been hilarious. Well, that, with, it, it is an amazing was, thing. That, was someone that, videotaping that this? Keaton, I mean, Klein, Diane Weiss, Jenkins... They all came out and did this movie, and there was not a lot of money available, uh, to put it politely. And um, they just came out and gave their all for six weeks in Utah. And um, they were just attracted to the project. And then they did what they do whenever they work, which is give it everything they've got. And they give you all the generosity of their huge talent. And they never say, you know, I'm not getting paid for this, or uh, why am I working too long? Or, and they just give. And it's very invigorating it's very gratifying to see people like that who you, I idolize really uh, doing that and, and doing with uh, this kind of low budget filmmaking and there were no trailers there were no it was nothing and yet that was the conversation most nights in the van about how cheap we were working how underpaid we were I didn't say they weren't self-congratulatory of knocking off an ATM machine just to get some cash so uh, in a minute, we'll have an opportunity to ask some questions from the audience if you want to think up something good. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. But um, I have all these notes here. I can't read my own handwriting. Talk amongst yourselves for a moment. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a great scene. There's a lot of great scenes. But <clears throat> there's a great scene um, where your character falls down Hearts your arm, now you're a doctor. And you've, cut, you've seen this scene before in like action films where you have to tell <clears throat> the person, you gotta fix my arm, you gotta pop it back in. And I, you've seen this on like episodes of TJ Hooker, you know, it's, it's not, but I've never seen it done for laughs, I don't think. And it's you and Diane Keaton doing it, it's hilarious. It's all done in one take. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how that worked, the improv, very funny stuff, and you know, was it the decision to say we're just gonna do it all in one take and see how it goes, so. Um, we did a lot of thinking about which method you use to pop a shoulder back into place when you've dislocated. There are several agreed upon methods of doing that. So we had to think of what's the best comedy method that was actually close to reality. They worked on it quite hard because it's not an easy thing to do. And we actually had a truck pull Kevin's shoulder. No, we didn't do it. But, but uh, it was in the pouring rain, very cold two game actors, and um, with, they had to do it several times. It was always my preferred approach to do it all in one take. But it's a four minute take, it's not so easy to do, you need great people to do it. Freezing cold, lots of rain. Um, but they did it, and they did it, and they were wonderful, and the, the, what I love about it is that it is very funny, but by the end, it's very tender, and these two have been at each other for the entire movie up to this point. But when the crisis comes, um, the wife warms to her husband, is very concerned about him, and he takes her through it and, and, and believes in her that she can do it, and he risks, he's a surgeon after all, so there's a good amount of risk that if she should do it wrong, there might be some ramifications. 
And um, they're just two great actors. Left alone, I didn't, I didn't even cut. Do you have any uh, insight into the rehearsals of that or working with Diane on that? Or? I, don't, I don't remember rehearsing. You know, we, we, we talked, there were, as, as Larry said, there were several different methods. Um, but we agreed on what it would be, and then we just kind of solidified the lines. It wasn't an improvisation. There was some I mean, little bit of little ad-libs, but it was pretty much as scripted. Um, <clears throat> and for two old geezers like us to remember all those lines, <laughs> in the pouring rain and the cold. Because, you know, he's done Hein no Hamlet several times. <laughs> That's a little harder. But um, what he, he gets on something that I think is really important, and which is... People often ask me, is there improvisation in your movies? And I think that every movie, every take is an improvisation. I have a lot of pride in the writing. Meg and I liked our script. But that is not what the acting is about. The script lies there. And you can read it and you say, oh, that's a good script. But it's nothing until the actors start to do it. And only when they start to bring it alive is it anything. And so I consider every single take an improvisation. And they, every take is different. And every take is them trying something different and surprising me. And in that four-minute take, they do a hundred different things that aren't in the script. And yet they say all the lines. They say the lines perfectly. But what they do with their hands, with their body, with their face is incredible. And that's why I'm in awe of actors, the same way I am of great athletes. Um, why don't we take a question from the audience, if anybody... So raise your hand, and we'll bring you a microphone right here in the second row. Hi, Kevin. How did you develop the character of Captain Phoebus in The Hunchback of Notre Dame for, uh, from animation? And what was your experience like in, in The Pink Panther, and what was Steve Martin like from your point of view? <laughs> Who? No, I... Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, how did I develop the character? Uh, the character in The Hunchback of Notre Dame it was a, a voice, uh, it was a vocal performance. Um, what was it? I, I missed that. I moment. played Phoebus. The, and how did, what did he sound like? He sounded very pretentious and very full of himself. What were you doing? Uh, yes. Um, no, I can't remember how to sound like that. Uh, no, but he, it's a, he was a, a sort of grandiose uh, character. He was pretty full of himself until he's smitten by or with the um, Esmeralda, Demi Moore, whom I had never met. Um, but she wasn't there when I did my... You know, making those things, you're, you're sort of alone in a limbo with a, one of these things. And it's all, it's all in your head. Um, it's really the, the animators who make... I had nothing to say about how I looked, for example. Um, but uh, I don't... I don't know that I did develop the character. Uh, working with Steve was really the, the, the main reason why I did Pink Panther. We've, we'd known each other. We'd worked together in Grand Canyon, uh, Lawrence Kasdan film, with, written by Lawrence and Meg. Um, and, but we'd known each other socially. And uh, uh, I think I speak for both of us when I say we couldn't wait to work together. So this came along, and, uh, and I did it, and it was great fun. Was that what, was that what you wanted to know? Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> Second row center. Uh, hi, Lawrence. Hi, Kevin. Uh, I had a question. I mean, you're known for writing and directing a lot of, like, especially recently, a lot of your own movies. And 
as a, as an artist, when when you write something, how how exactly, like because you have done a very different kind of movies from westerners to like very romantic and drama. So how do you decide that this is something I should do or why not involve some other director who you might feel like how how exactly do you uh, and why do you prefer to do that or why not because i am a film student i like to understand that and other thing was like as a director and writer both do you believe in having a solid script like scripted everything or because you're directing it yourself you prefer to have the idea and work on the set what comes along now i, I believe i believe in scripts and I've been writing scripts for a long time. And I've basically written most of what I've done for 30 years, but, um, I, and I would always prefer to do that because uh, directing is the greatest job on earth. It's just as good as you imagine it to be. It's the most fun there is you can have. And so I'm always trying to do that. And uh, what I say about the, uh, the script is one thing and it is your roadmap for the whole enterprise, but Every day, you're challenged to by the reality of the situation, the time you've got, the location, what the actors are feeling that day, and everything changes. So what you're hoping is that the basis that you started with, the basis that everyone agreed on at the beginning, is solid. And then what you're hoping is that everything changes, really. You want it to be alive in a way that it can never be alive when it's just on the page. Third row, center to your left. How's it going? Um, how many different, did you just have one dog playing the dog? <laughs> there are two dogs in the movie. One dog played almost all the scenes, but he had an understudy who did a little running for him and was ready at any time to step in if there had been a problem. But the key to all animal films, and I've done a lot of work with the animals in two westerns and another dog movie, is having a great trainer. We had a great trainer, a wonderful woman who trained this lead dog, and it meant that we didn't have to go to the understudy very often. How, how much did um, Freeway the dog look like your actual dog that sort of inspired the film? He doesn't really. Freeway is a little prettier than our dog. He's a little bit, a little bit, but that was just when we saw a lot of dogs and we saw a lot of different shapes and sizes. And there was something about Casey, the dog that plays the lead dog, who was a rescue dog himself, just like our dog and like a lot of great dogs. Well, you do what you know. You, you know, do so. it, that's right. And he actually is a little prettier than his background. He has a very rough background. We don't know. He was badly scarred around the neck when they rescued him. And this trainer um, rescued him and taught him to become an actor, or an acto, as we like to call him. <laughs> Have we got another question from the uh, All in the, the back. way in the back, standing yeah. here. Yeah, hi. Uh, the, the question is to Kevin. I'm a big fan uh, as an American and as an Egyptian. One of the things that I know about you, Kevin, uh, even when I didn't understand English much, I found your character extremely funny. And, uh, you know, you, you animated. Even if I'm watching you and I'm not paying it, I'm not listening, I, you know what, I, I get the picture, what you're saying. Now, does this character take away from, in my opinion, what you are very famous for from previous work? Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I, I think I know what you're talking about. I do tend to 
uh, gesture and uh, yeah, I can be rather animated, uh, except when I'm doing an animation film. <laughs> Others animate me, but I, I, I sort of, yeah, I can be, yeah. Uh, but I, I, in fact, I, I like being um, unanimated. Um, because there, if if one gets used to using the same uh, tools, tricks, uh, one can be, it can become a mannerism. And I so I, I I love in different projects, to, you know. And this one, it's true. This one, this guy is not terribly animated. You don't want a a, a, a spinal surgeon who uses his hands a lot when he <laughs> when he's working, except for in a very so there there was a more of a stillness to him. But um, no, I, it, just, it, it, it just, you know, it's, to be denied, to deny yourself that over animation thing, which I, I, I've, I'm a little sick of myself, uh, is, it's, a, it's a relief and a challenge. And, and, and since they weren't paying me very much, I thought, <laughs> all right, they don't get the animation. Well, we're, we're, we're getting close to the end. We have time for just a, a couple more quick questions. But I would kick myself later if I didn't take this opportunity. I don't get to talk to Lawrence Kasdan all that regularly. Um, you have made a couple of motion pictures that uh, made a, a couple of people have seen, some works with Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. And um, I have to ask you about what I really do consider is the greatest sequence in motion picture, motion picture history. I write for the internet. We do a lot of lists. And I did this thing about the greatest action sequences ever filmed that I studied and I went back to the old Soviet films and I looked at new stuff and I tried to divorce myself from my own being a kid and when I saw something. But I do think that the truck sequence from Raiders of the Lost Ark is the greatest action sequence ever filmed. And I watched it a lot to double check that I'm not crazy. So I don't know the exact genesis of that particular sequence. Um, but if I could ask a guy, I think I know who to ask. So yeah. I'm wondering, you write down, Indy gets on a horse, chases after the Ark, hand it to Steven, and he goes? I mean, how, if you can give oh, us no. a little bit of background on that, I would love no, to we, know. We talked a lot about the detail of that movie right from the get-go. And it was uh, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and I went to... Uh, after this, this was actually the first job I ever had in Hollywood. I was hired to do that. I had sold some screenplays. And um, we went away together for a week and talked about the story. And we talked about what kind of gags we wanted, what kind of stunts we wanted, what uh, the progression the movie would take. And we talked in a general way. And it took me six months to actually write the script. But there, we talked about exactly how he was going to get on the truck, what was going to happen after he got on the truck, how he would get control of the truck, how he would get under the truck. And um, that's just like... Uh, the opening in the um, cave, everything is written, and everything and things get changed. And uh, it was brilliantly directed by Stephen. But uh, you hope that things are going to get changed and improved when you're on the set. But you have written something that can be shot, and you hope that it will be shot. And that the, the every one of those action scenes has a dynamic. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's not just things piled onto each other, it's supposed to build, it's supposed to have dips, it's supposed to have a moment when you think things can't work out right, and then they do work out right, and that's true of the great action sequences, and it's very flattering to have you say about that. I would, 
argue that you know there are probably a hundred great action sequences that could all be put on the same level and that's the joy of film when people say to me what's your 10 favorite films i say that's impossible but i'll give you a thousand a thousand favorites do, do you remember the first time when you sat down and saw the sequence soup to nuts with the music with the sound effects editing what you felt when you saw I that sequence? i do remember that meg and i were uh, went to a little screening it was relatively small screening it was the head of paramount who had paid a lot for this movie and stuck his neck out and there was George and it was a tiny circle of people and Steven and I was basically shocked by the movie I had we knew the script was pretty good we'd we'd been able to get the money to do it and um, the reports had been good but I remember seeing the whole thing put together for the first time with the music and it wasn't the finished score but it was enough of John Williams score to get the idea, and everybody, when it was over, I think Meg would uh, agree that there was a kind of stunned moment in the room, and it was, um, everybody, we knew this was something very special, and it wasn't me, it wasn't George, it wasn't just Steven, it was everything had come together in a way that you hope it will. And it was pretty damn exciting. Well, I think we have time for one more question, right? So let's make it a good one. Who's got a brilliant question to ask? If it's not brilliant, don't ask it. You asked a question already. Somebody else. Come on. But it wasn't brilliant, his last question. Young lady in the second row right here. There we go. On your right. Oh, me? Me. Um, Kevin, I'm a high school English teacher. I teach British literature, so they all have to read Hamlet. So um, if I could take back with me from you why Hamlet you feel it's just such an important character in play. I've been wondering that. What do you say with that Well, uh, oh gosh, you know, you know how many books have been written about Hamlet. Uh, I think because the character of Hamlet goes, his, what happens to him, what he goes through emotionally, spiritually, uh, is is a, is a lifetime. It's got the, the play has everything in it. It's uh, it's just some of the most extraordinary language, poetry, and uh, and and the concise distillation of thought into poetry that Shakespeare manifests in that play, and especially in that character. It, there's not a speech in it that is not worthy of really studying and thinking about because of the profundity of, of, of the consideration of uh, the genius of Shakespeare that went into it. I've been trying to get Larry to do a movie of Hamlet, but <laughs> he, uh, he's, not, uh, he's not bitten yet. Someday. Well, uh, listen, Darling Companion is in theaters next Friday here in New York and other major cities. Tell your friends. You should go see it. And uh, thanks again for coming. Thank you.